Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Bench Units, recording the weekend roundup on a Sunday this time, as God intended. I am joined by James. How's it going, man? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, if this qualifies as work, I'm not sure this is what God would intend, depending <laughs> on which God we're talking about, but, you know, not too bad. How are you? Listening to this may count as work. I'm good, thank you. Before we get into the wheelchair basketball stuff for our wheelchair basketball devoted audience, do you have a spicy Victor Wembanyama take for our NBA literate fans? Um, no, apart from, I don't know, every year I feel like people manage to get themselves a little bit excited about, oh, this guy's coming into the league next year. And then they top out mostly between like, all right, pretty good. Or, you know, your average draft the top like the fifth guy in the draft ends up being like all right starter on an nba team the top guy might be a superstar but is more likely to be like andrew wiggins who kind of messed around a little bit and is now fifth starter on a championship team but victor Wembanyama is seven foot five now apparently and can do all the things he does with the ball in his hands and yeah, I think this is actually legitimately quite special and I'm excited to see the sort of levels of depravity that NBA teams go to and how early they go to it to try and tank. I can't wait. My, uh, I had two thoughts as I watched the sets of highlights from the two games. Number one, it, he's only playing for a club that just plays in the French domestic league. So I think he only plays like 14 games plus playoffs this whole season. It is lovely for him to not get injured. Um, but I was thinking if you took all the highlights from like the big video dropped on Tuesday, didn't it? I think when he had his 37 point game. Yes. Um, if you would have, have taken each highlight and just have, he got one of those per game for the entire French league season, he still would go number one overall, even if this showcase had never happened. And yeah, he got, it's done. It's done already. Like... He got those in less than 30 minutes. Um, my other take was, he could be legitimately the first person who pre-draft was like, yeah, I'm going to get drafted and demand a trade and people were drafted number one anyway. Like, he could yeah. be pre-NBA contract and demanding to be moved to a team of his choice and people are like, well, we'll just draft him and see if we can sell him. It'll be great. The thing with him is like, he looks like, do you know when you create a player on 2K and if you make them like above a certain height they're not allowed to be a good shooter or they can't handle the ball or they can't move well he like i don't know bill simmons was talking about it and they were like he kind of moves like a guy who's a foot smaller than he is like he doesn't have the weird like this guy's gonna fall over if he runs too hard or anything like it's it's incredible or he looks a bit like when michael jordan dunks at the end of space jam every time he leaves the floor like he looks like he's stretched out it's 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 incredible. He might like real quick before we get into it. My favorite two K thing ever was the pre Zion year. Was maybe the last time I played two K in any concentrated fashion, and I tried to make Zion to do like my my player, and I made him six foot six or whatever Zion's measurement was, and tried to get him up to the weight that Zion was reported at, which was like 285. And I think they stopped me about 40 pounds shy of that. And they're like, no, no, people who are six foot six can't be that heavy. We promise you. I was yeah. like, just you wait. The guys who write the 2K software are going to have to work around some of their own limitations in a year's time. Yeah. The Zion thing's nuts because he like obviously was the last, oh my God, look at this guy. 
in the draft and he obviously delivered and I think people are forgetting about it. Also, I apologize that we're still talking about the NBA, but like Zion shot 60 something percent and scored like 26 points a game when he finally played in the NBA. He's like, if you taught a running, but if, if a running back and a phone box had a baby and you taught that baby how to shoot, like people are forgetting that Zion's just like, I think he's going to be unbelievable this year. But anyway, anyway, should we talk about people who, are not playing in the NBA. Let's do it. And speaking of things that are not unbelievable, first game we'll open with to get out of the way, FDI Yaganes versus Joventut, 66-44 for Yaganes. This was, we've got a ton of games to get through, so we'll get this one written off ASAP. Um, This was about as expected. Christian Gomez turned up. We weren't sure if he was going to be around um, until January because of the whole post-world situation. Um, the Ganas kind of have to platoon their various bigs now, um, but regardless of that, they had more than enough talent to beat Juventus, who are going to struggle, although they did have one guy top out 20 points, which legitimately might be the best they get all season. Maybe, yeah. Um Shout out to Alexi Ruiz with 28 points on 13 from 19 shooting. This is, I only caught a few minutes of this. My takeaway, which I don't think I'd ever thought, is Gomez actually kind of a perfect six man big? Because he's just like, hey, I'll come in and shoot. Like, similar to how you guys at Gran Canaria had Richard Norche, who is like, hey, come in for five minutes and shoot every time you touch the ball. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. He only went two from four. He only took four shots in. 13 minutes so maybe not but yeah I, I could see that because he's getting a little older right like I don't actually know what age he is exactly but um, he I don't know that might be a good role for him but good to see him back in the league either way because he was good for them last year well no he was good for Las Rosas last year which is a different <laughs> team as the tax situation would dictate and the league rules would dictate are a staunchly different team than the team we were just talking about that's our yeah. backs covered. Shall we move on? Um, yes. Also, I just went on the Spanish Federation website there, and Leganes are joint top of the league, obviously, because they are two from two. So, oh, all downhill we... from here. Uh, maybe not. I don't know who they're playing next next week. But I was going to say I don't know who they're playing next year. Um, hopefully, the teams in this league. <laughs> cool. Right. Next game. Uh, Amiga Bablasetti eighty. Uh, Fundacion Aliados by the lead, 58. So, yeah, this was a game for a couple of quarters. Uh, no, not really. Um, Amiab were 15-5 first quarter. And then there were times where I was like, oh, I don't know, they're going to get it to 10. They're going to, and then never really happened, right? Like, Yeah, it was, the, if we do anything for anybody this podcast it would be saving them watching this game because there was streaming issues or something there was no sound the whole thing was sped up it was like watching one of those old ragtime films um, yeah it was really weird and i watched it like early this morning and was like right. am i losing my mind yeah um yeah it just this is a weird one we kind of we saw this with uh Aliados last week when they kind of started, I don't know if small is the right word because they got a decent spread of size, but... They, showed, they started not Yelmer. Yeah, more perimeter-orientated. Perimeter um, 
which is probably the best thing for their offense on balance, but is putting yourself in a tough position when you've then got Lee Manning to contend with. Um, and Lee with 29 points and 23 rebounds, as Phil Pratt em- emphatically tweeted us about, not tweeted us, uh, Instagram tags us about. But this is, yeah, it's kind of the danger of going small and leaning offense against a team like that. Um, Albacete offensive rebounded more or less any time they wanted to. Um, and yeah, they're just, if you're vitally, they brought Yelmer in for like 25 minutes to do the Lee matchup, but he was minus 15 in that time. Um, you know, you're going up against maybe the most dominant inside 4.5 in the world, letting them get off to a decent start. I don't and think then... there's a maybe about it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That Okay, yeah. I'll um I'll encourage you anytime you're taking the word maybe out of the vocabulary. <laughs> this Thank you, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's the thing, like seven minutes into the game, they were like, and obviously that it's not like Gilmer's not the sort of player that you're only putting in because you need certain matchups. Like Gilmer's been a good player for those guys and been in this league for a few years, but being like, right, we're we made a decision to go this way with starters at the start of the season, but we need some height to try and deal with Lee making that intentional choice and it not mattering says a lot about what Lee did today or yesterday. Sorry. Yeah, that's kind of it. And I think it's kind of interesting because they obviously, um, Amiab had Ben missing last week. Ben was back this week, but uh, Alandra's as well as out this week. And yeah, there's just kind of they obviously play similar-ish roles. Alejandro's a slightly bigger guy, but Amiab from top to bottom of whatever unit they're playing are probably the best rebounding team in either the Spanish league or Europe, depending on you know who you would want to throw in from Germany or wherever else into that conversation. But yeah, offensive and defensive rebounding, I mean you just gotta look. I'll say with 16 offensive rebounds, 45 rebounds total. And then flip side, Vidalid with eight offensive rebounds, 32 total. So that's effectively coming from offensive rebounds twice the number of possessions for Amiab, just off the back of that. And then you're asking a lot of your kind of perimeter shooters if you're Vidalid to match that pace in terms of quality of opportunity and converting. Yeah. Do you have the thing when you watch Amiab where they have so many, like they've got so much talent that you're like, something's weird. Who's missing? Yeah. Like mid third quarter or mid uh, second quarter, you're like, ah, Ale's not there. Like, and I, I don't mean specifically with him this week. I just mean every week if they're missing someone, I'm like, yeah, it, it's like, so this guy's playing. So who, oh my good. Like, I was trying to think of their, like, one of their other lineups talking to someone the other day. And I was like, oh yeah. And I just forgot. I don't remember who it was, but I was like, oh yeah, this other, like, undoubtedly world-class player who's like plays 30 minutes for them i was like oh okay like mental isn't it um yeah i mean this was this was a tough one to gauge vitalid from just because they beat Gran canaria really comfortably last weekend and then they're going up against probably the favorites in the league off the back of that so their pro their points difference for the season is probably about bang on equal now with a blowout win and a blowout loss so I yeah don't- we can say we know a huge amount about Vidalid other than what we thought at the start of the season. They're probably competitive in the league up to a point. And then some of their talent and lack of consistent size is going to be an issue. But 
who is it not an issue for when Lee is on the other time, unless you're rolling out Hasso and Bill? That's the thing. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much I can take from watching any team lose to Amiab this season because yeah. most teams are meant to, I would say. <laughs> but yeah, man, um, big game from Lee, obviously. Phil, 9 from 12 as well, which is massive. I was just, I was looking at the stats and I it's a weird one to count because offensive rebounds and I don't want to sit here in silence and run the numbers, but like I feel like they play fast enough that they should have twice as many possessions as everyone else, but you can't, we're not counting possessions on stats, we're counting shots and obviously offensive rebounds and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to, I could have done that by the time I explained myself, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I just feel like the size they have and the pace they play at is is really, really hard to deal with. So yeah, tough game provided a lead, but it's going to be. Yeah. Cool. Shall we move on? All right. Let's move on. Um, Ferrol, 65. Murcia, 79. So right. this one was interesting. Um, Ferrol pushed Malaga relatively close last week, and I think we were both a bit like, eh, early, you know, figuring it out game for Malaga, whatever. But Ferrol looked to be able to score against two decent teams. They've scored upwards of I think they had 62 last week off the top of my head but they are scoring consistently enough to make you think they're going to give teams trouble on a relatively consistent basis um they're just the majority of their scoring is coming from two guys in Carol Schultz and uh Lorenzo Ambo uh, who had 26 and 21 Mercia just got a little bit better spread I think is yeah. fair to say they got 22 from Lee Fryer, 17 from Lalo Prieto, and then they got 10 and 9 off the bench from Beatrice Ludare and Biel Carbo. Um, this is a quality thing. I think Mercia have more guys and more rotation, but yeah. for all, look like they're going to hang about at the very least. Yeah, like I'm just looking at it, like Mercia have like eight guys, probably uh, guys and girls, eight players that you would trust, probably maybe nine on there and yeah when you're looking at that against a team that you're leaning so heavily on two players it's 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 yeah. going to be an issue this is about how this game's meant to go but cool for Mercia to get out and put 80 on someone after like I was speaking to a couple of the guys there last week when we beat them and I was like I don't know I still feel like they I don't know this is my this is my Burgos this is the hill <laughs> I will die on I still feel like they can be they can be really handy this year but i don't know yeah I think, I think they've played us when we played really well and then played a team that's probably lower down in the league a team that's just been promoted so once again hard to tell it'll be when they play a sort of mid-table team we'll be able to figure that out but yeah it's a i mean the encouraging takeaway here would be they nearly hit 80 points as a group and that's with getting only eight apiece from joaquin robles and uh Pablo Zazuela, who yeah. you would think would hit double figures fairly consistently. I get there's, you know, uh, Wacken Robles only played 22 minutes in this game because so, BL was having a good one and stuff like that. So yeah. it's all kind of give and take. But yeah, I mean, last year, the idea of Mercia hitting nearly 80 points with two of their key contributors not showing up would have been pretty difficult to fathom. Yeah. Also, looking at Murcia, 
Um, looking at the advanced statistics on the Federation's website, they had one lineup that was plus 28, and the rest of their lineups were either even or in the minus. So Zarzuela, Zudaire, Friar, Carbo, and Lalo Preto was plus 28, which is funny. But yeah, that's kind of their kind of their press lineup, but they would have had Robles in there instead of Lalo. But yeah, it's interesting that one lineup's one lineup has literally done all of the score, like all of the damage. <laughs> like normally you see a little bit of a mix because it's like attributed to certain players, but just like, hey, this five worked and the rest of them. Well, if it's a, didn't, is great. If it's a plus 28 and a 14 point win, that means literally that lineup is as helpful as all your other lineups you tried were unhelpful, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Right. Shall we move on? Yes. So tell us about this one. Bidaideak, 72. Humphrey Vigo, 65 after overtime. Yeah, man. We went to overtime. That was that's pretty wild. Um, Yeah, Vigo gave us a lot of problems. We couldn't kind of... I, I don't know. It felt like we couldn't score, but I don't know. Halftime was... Was it 33-31? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm like that's not... That's a little low, so I don't know. I just felt like we did an all right job stopping them, but just couldn't get going offensively for whatever reason. Um, missed a lot under the hoop. Um, this is if this was a stat I wanted to bring up, it was a probably a stat I should have worked out previously, but um, <laughs> yeah, like I, I feel like we shot under what we would normally shoot, sort of three feet away from the basket which is never going to be great for a team but yeah particularly in the um in the overtime period you guys missed two layups like early doors in the overtime and it was a bit like oh man here we go but i think the the free throw game and chema's finishing particularly kind of carried you through that portion um but even before we got there man like we probably had enough layups for this to be like for us to take it away. But if you look at the final score, like 72-65 defensively, that's all right, obviously. Especially fact- factoring in five additional minutes. Exactly, that's what I mean. Like, um, But it's just, we would hope to be getting above 70 in 40 minutes, not 45. So I don't yeah. know. On, on their side of the ball, I thought Fernando Villas, um, I mean, Julio Villas, sorry, um, played really well. Um, obviously, Agustin Alejos just is great. Um, Man, he, he rained one on you from about 22 feet from the right wing where you had it, had him stopped and backed out to the corner and he was like, yeah, I'm just going to post this up and shoot it. Yeah. Your, um, your segment you did on it last week where you're like, why can this guy post up and it not affect his mechanics regardless of how far away he is? Yeah. And that's the thing, like a lot of, like, they did it last week a little and they'll, they do it they did it this week. Um, they'll kind of isolate two on two on one side of the floor to cross to get a layout as a mismatch. And a lot of the times it was on me and it was like, okay, stop his chair. And if someone decides to help and get me out of there, cool. If not, I've just got to like put my hand up, try and annoy him and they'll go in or they won't. So there was a lot of just like watching him post me up and be like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> These are, are going to go or they aren't. But yeah, man, we had a, about um, two minutes before the end of regulation. He just burnt me one-on-one. Um, 
drew a file and they were in the bonus and i was like are we about to lose this game <laughs> because i've blown this one-on-one but yeah i felt i felt a little exposed there but no it was they they've done obviously really well two games in a row and they've sure. given both us and amiab a lot of trouble so yeah this yeah pretty I, legit. I think you're kind of seeing it in the contributions um the young fellow, Jason Betancourt, he hit a couple earlier, I think in the first half, where he tucked in behind a screen and just shot like a 45-degree post-up. And it was, he, I think he made two of those in a row that was basically his whole offensive contribution to the game. But I think you could tell from your guys' reaction to him making those, it was a real balance of, hey, if he hits those, there's not a lot we can do about it. But that was taken in a positive sense and also in, oh, if he hits those, there is literally nothing we can do when this guy, like when he catches the ball and he has it above his head. It's like, unless you're climbing on each other's shoulders, you're doing precisely nothing about that. Yeah, and also Um, on the other side of the floor, like size is really consequential. Like they're able to roll out four, um, two fours, one pretty big one an absolute giant a massive two five with a junior point a mid-sized three and a one like um I think, yeah that... i think after the um early returns of the off season uh the young german kid basti called from vigo might be a candidate for like stealth off-season signing playing as a one and the, I think late in the game when it was tied or to tie it up, he went like coast to coast and ran a layup. <laughs> and it was like, okay, this very spindly kid who looks like the kind of late 2000s when the Turks used to sit everyone who was above a 1.5 max height and they'd be super wobbly. It's like, oh, this kid knows what he's doing and he's got stones. And apparently, I think from his last couple of games, he's not had like the most efficient shooting game, but he obviously has no fear of anything, which is no. cool to see. No, last game, I think he went three from 10, shot three threes in his first game in the Spanish league. I was like, oh, all right. Like, but like he went to, he went to the junior worlds a couple of months ago and did well in a team that ended up coming forth. So like, he's obviously played at a good level already. He's not just rolled up here from random junior German team X, Iguanas, but you know what I mean? Um, Oh, really cool thing that happened. So, um, really cool thing that happened was, him and Lucas, the German guy who's playing for us, the one-pointer, came from the same club, and a couple of their old club teammates came from Germany to watch this game uh, without telling oh, each other, which was really cool. That is cool. Um, last point on this game before we move on. I was struck watching the... I watched the overtime as it happened, then I watched just the overtime back today. Uh, I'm interested to see what your theory is on why you guys took it away 12-5 in the last five minutes. Um, Got out in transition as much as we actually wanted to. Um, I don't know how to isolate this. I don't know to isolate the stats, but like, feel like we actually finished our layups. Um, but yeah, we were two from, yeah, there we go. We were two from three sort of under the basket in five minutes. And I don't know, I feel like we didn't shoot 66% on layups for the rest of the game. And that might be enough defensively. We did a good job, but yeah, that's that's mostly it. Like we actually 
I don't know. Like, this is going to sound really stupid, but when we were doing what we were actually setting out to do, it went all right. And we just like, I'm being reductive, but actually finishing off decent shots is important. Like, yeah, yeah it struck me. I think this is true of Bilbao for the last however long you would want to call it, but I think Bilbao reliably get good shots per possession. Um, and particularly, I think, over time when it's kind of every possession is crucial. I think Bilbao are one of the better teams at getting late clock looks. Oh, yeah. There was a lot really of Vigo. slowing it down, right? Yeah, uh, there was a lot of Vigo late clock things where they kind of posted up and shot a mismatch. And it's like, well, it's okay. But if that was the shot you wanted, you probably would have settled into that when you weren't up against the pressure of the shot clock. And I think there's enough like veteran savvy on Bilbao to be like, hey, we know inside the last eight seconds of the shot clock, if it comes to it, we'll just get something. And Chemo was big again in. I think this was Papi's most inefficient game since he's been with you guys. He just didn't have it going today. But yeah, and that's it. Like there wasn't anything different. It was just like, I guess when a lot of, like this is reductive once again he does a lot of things very well but when your main contribution is like perimeter scoring just every so often you're probably not gonna have it like the absolute greats have it just all the time but and he's amazing but i guess just sometimes if it's not going it's not going but i don't know that was okay shall we move on yes 69 Malaga 62. What were your thoughts on this one? Um, Really fun game. Uh, it was very close for what felt like a long time. And then third quarter, Malunian um, just took it away. And I thought that was going to be it. But um, Malaga won the last quarter by 10. And at one point, I was like, oh, they've got it to six. And there was a weird, like, no call or a no three second or something that I was like, oh man, like if this goes a different way, you're right in that game. But um also I felt like there was a point in the game where Lewis was just like, right, we're coming back. Yeah. Th- th- this was kind of my um my takeaway from this was I think they went to Malaga went to Cosarinha fairly early um off the bench and they had him kind of posting up Danny Sticks where they could. But then that left kind of Abdi and Kyle as the perimeter shooters. And they had like Greg and Tom jumping those guys. And it's like, well, you're not going to create anything against that mobility if you're trying to dribble off picks with those guys handing you. So they went through a stage of just shooting mismatches um, or the offense getting a bit static. And then Lewis came in and I was, this is no disrespect to Lewis, but I was like, this is a tough ask to you know you're bringing this guy in who's predominantly a get inside and finish type guy and you're going to bring him in against Hasso and Bill and whoever else and it turned out it worked it just came in and the like energy infusion was just manic for five minutes there and it kind of dragged Malaga back into it and then Amadou clattered Lewis with an unsportsmanlike at about half court with yeah, a couple of minutes Yeah, two unsportsmanlikes in like three plays. <laughs> I was like, what is <laughs> happening? But Amadou, I was thinking about this this morning. Amadou is 
the all-time leader in unsportsmanlike with absolutely no malice behind them. And yeah, like just clipping he, a guy. I don't know. Um, just leader of man. <laughs> he's the leader in that stat by so far that I honestly don't think I could tell you who came second behind. Like, it just seems to be wherever Amadou goes, he hits somebody much, much harder than he would expect. <laughs> it's like, he's bizarre, massive. But, uh, he's so big. He's so strong. Yeah. Like, um, do you think there's a speaking of Go on. No, just last thing on Malaga. Do you think part of the thing with them is just like the balance on the floor? Like at any given point, like I'm looking at their starters and I'm like, obviously you can like you can put a shooter on the block, but there are maybe like in their starters, there's probably four guys that I would want playing on the perimeter at any given point. Like you're asking someone to yeah. it's not like you're asking someone to sacrifice, but it's more like they don't have a massive amount of punch going inside in some of their lineups. Um, yeah, that which means that, like that's very much it. Yeah, and it's like you can protect shooters by screening, but like the sort of instinctive protection that you get from a defender being like, oh god, like if I jump that, you know what I mean? If you set a screen that a defender's like, I can go over this because I'm not that worried about what's going inside. Versus if you know, yeah. right? If I go over the top of this we need to rotate big time or there's a layup given up. I think there's a real difference there. And that's, once again, that's not disrespecting. Like, all those guys are unbelievable, but it's just, I don't know. They've got a lot of, like, versatile perimeter scoring and um, you're asking some of those guys to sit on the block at any given point, but I don't know. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think one of the missing pieces, we were just talking about what Vilas did for Vigo and it's like... Jesus Romero of Malaga is playing 40 minutes and getting four shots up. And it's like, if they had vi- someone who was comfortable playing the Villas role and, you know, Rome- if that was what Romero was doing and he was getting inside and finishing consistently, that's some pressure off. But He's a little smaller. I, like, he does that. He's just, he's way smaller than Villas, I feel like. And Pete does that quite well. But once again, like, I feel like Pete's a we're, talented we're also, perimeter guy. We're talking about this against literally the biggest team or second biggest team, so maybe this isn't a fair testament, but I always feel like with these teams that are like one too many perimeter guys, I always want to see them run a bit more point-pick kind of offense um, and create from there, but you can then legitimately, there's less set in stone like who's on the block or who's you know having the ball taken out of their hands by default because you can kind of run the five on five and then the four B three stages of your offense a bit more balanced with less concrete roles. Sure. But whether they go to be go to that, I don't know. Um the real the switch in this game was Amadou with sixteen points, eight of eight shooting, and he hit I think there was a stretch where he ran in eight straight in the third quarter as a Lunion were pulling it away. Yeah, it was and... just Amadou and Terry running pick and rolls to death. Also welcome back Terry by water. Good to see you back, son. Um, yeah, this was just Illunion having the luxury of toggling guys until they found what worked for them. Um, and they brought Amadou in. Tom and Neil, Tom and Neil Thorne came in, didn't have a good shooting game by any stretch, but is still a plus five in a game they won by seven because that unit with Amadou worked, and that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah. Um it's like it, it says everything that to, to back up my point there that Amadou came in with 
16 points. Terry led the game with nine assists. Like they just pick and rolled them to death for a while. And also the only block all game was Kyle Marsh. I'm just looking at the stats and like random little things that pop out like that always make me laugh. There was uh, one block all game, but Kyle got, Kyle got Bill at one point. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. There we go. Oh, yeah. Okay. Up next, last one in Spain for this weekend. Gran Canaria 81, Mediba 59. Yeah, uh, Mediba, pay your players. Um, Gran Canaria. <laughs> um, yeah, Gran Canaria spreading the love here 15, 11, 16, and 10 for four starters. Um, and then not nine and eight for Claudio and Richard Noche off the bench. The old guys getting it done. Yeah, man. Um, and the young guys. Um, just everyone getting it done. Yeah, I just think Grand Canaria have like enough talent and structure and even scoring and defensive both ability and organization to play against a team that's kind of two super talented guys and then whatever else is going on. You know what I mean? Like I I tend to be a little bit skeptical of this stuff, but having caught the game, I actually lean towards believing this stat is at least somewhat accurate. Is Gran Canaria with 29 assists on 33 made shots? Sorry, 34 made shots, excuse me. Um, Yeah, they kind of, this was the game where they look to have gotten back a bit more to their style of the last handful of years. Um, You have to keep in mind that they weren't against the quality of opposition they had been up to this point, but they, um, I think maybe the most surprising stat from this entire game was Madiba getting a third player into double figure scoring because having watched them against Leganes last weekend, if you'd have told me that only John Hernandez and Salvador Sandoval scored in double figures for the entire season, I would have believed you. I would have probably put money on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Madiba, th- this has trickled out in a couple of places now there's been talk of whether or not they will keep this team running to finish the season. Um, oh, un- interesting. Unconfirmed. We're not reporting that we know either way. We just know that that's a sentiment that's out and about there. Um, okay. That'd be a real shame for the guys who are there and getting like paid to be there, I hope. Uh, but... it, it would, but I also think there's at least a, a couple of guys here who teams would bring in. There's, as think, long as they'd be allowed to I don't know what the league's stance on that is if a team folds mid-season oh yeah like there's a few guys that would be able to go somewhere in a heartbeat as long as other teams don't have all their money spent but yeah I just don't want people ending up stuck without places to live and play and earn money but yeah 100%. so uh, yeah but Grand Canaria just passing teams to death is fun to watch again but as you say like a lower level of opposition this time but because they got back to they were running four five four three uh five and two ones for a while mm-hmm. and they've got back to playing two bigs luigi um and two one fives now so maybe that's kind of part of it yeah the the more mids heavy lineup is definitely more suited to i think how their coach wants to play um I think like when David was playing a couple of years back when he filled in for you when you were 
injured, they could kind of get away with doing it with one one pointer. Um, because my job was easily done by someone who was only a one. <laughs> no, like actually, like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but they Driss said is obviously a one five, but is a and very and good. Yeah, he. I mean, he only shot free throws in this game, but he is a more than capable finisher to make this style of play work and. If Luigi is shooting efficiently, which he was seven from twelve today, that's a massive like X factor for them. The games where Luigi shot well, even going back to last year, you know, um, solid shooting percentage from him typically put them over the edge against a lot of teams. Not that they massively needed it in this one. Yeah. Cool. Shall we head to Germany? Shall we, Germany? Yes, we shall. Let's do it. All right. First game. Ooh, Monsterland 61, Hamburg 59. Sorry, um, wheelchair basketball theme park, BBC Monsterland. Um <laughs> sorry, yes. Needed to needed um, to get that right. I apologize. We did. So we got a tip off from a listener to tell us to watch this game. Um we weren't informed why the story of this one is that Ilsa Arts of the Dutch women's team. Uh, is now a member of BBC Munsterland, having come back from the Dutch women's training camp. Let's see, so, just just on a, a, a like a warm weather training camp, but now she's at a theme park. Always <laughs> on holiday. Give it a work. Living, <laughs> living the dream. Um, and yeah, the other bit of news out of this one is that Munsterland are seemingly completely and utterly incapable of not playing a game that's fascinating one way or another because having pushed Ryan Riverinos to overtime and completely having blown out Cologne in the first game of the season, they now get a two-point win against a team that I would say in Hamburg isn't as strong as they are. Um, and yeah, this one was their 1.5 Leon Wiesmann basically pulling down an offensive rebound and while expecting to be fouled, just kind of chucking the ball in the air, presumably to make sure he got free throw attempts. He actually made that shot, which was a very like half-hearted is maybe the wrong word, but it was kind of like a ah, if this goes up and in, then happy days. But I'll get my free throws either way. Um, he made this, it. This is why it's worth throwing those up all the time. <laughs> I think every every I think every wheelchair basketball player thinks about like the fact that if you get filed, it's just licensed to throw some mad stuff up, and it like you think about it way more than it actually happens, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so that put Munsterland up by two. And then Mamadi Traore from Hamburg effectively got just above his own three-point line and with his chair stopped, tried to javelin a three-quarter court three-point attempt, which actually hit the backboard and rattled the ring before popping out. So that, I think it might have been after the time anyway, but I think had he made that, if I'd have been refereeing, I would have officially awarded them the win because... Some things are more important than the actual rules of the game of basketball. Yeah, I, I do think there are times when you're watching stuff and refs are like, well, technically this, and you're like, oh, have a bit of fun. But obviously, <laughs> if you're on the opposite team, like I, this summer at one point, we were scrimmaging when I was uh, back with GB and we had refs in and a ref blew a... He won't mind me talking about this, but I'll uh, um, I'll leave his name out. He blew a call that I was like, oh, come on, man. This is the most I know the rules more than you do call of all time. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I know, but it's worth knowing because if this happens to you in a real game, you'd be quite upset if I got it wrong, wouldn't you? And I was like, 
yeah but it didn't happen to me and we're scrimmaging on a Wednesday morning <laughs> like I <laughs> come on but yeah like he, you know he's right but that yeah this illustrates not the opposite of my point is, is illustrated there yeah definitely um cool yeah so this was basically it there was fun game if anyone's not checked this one out I appreciate this game might not have been first and foremost of anyone's list of weekend watching but Go give it a watch. It really was worth it. And also, yeah. if anyone has actually gone and checked a game out based on us talking about it, please let us know because that's hilarious. Oh, yeah, please do. That's funny in and of itself. Yeah. Right, moving on. Let's do it. Next, uh, Trier Dolphins ninety four, Cologne ninety ers sixty. Mark, how many points did he have? Don't look. Okay, well, I have already seen, but I will. Oh, okay, don't worry about it. By saying he got the mirror number of the total number of points that his team scored, which is hilarious. <laughs> also, so, can I just say, getting to forty nine and only hitting two threes seems like <laughs> two threes and three free throws. Like you, you made twenty two out of thirty two two point attempts. Like this is, by the way. That's is who we're talking about, obviously. This is the most DeMar DeRozan game I've ever seen from a wheelchair basketball player. Really? Because I thought DeMar DeRozan games would be like 14 from 16 free throws as well. Oh, yeah, true. Free throw. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I didn't give him credit. Um, okay, we'll go. This is the most old DeMar DeRozan game as opposed to young DeRozan who was getting fouled a lot. Sure. Okay, great. Great distinction. Well saved. Um. Yeah, this was my my question to you was going to be if you guys were to play Trier now, or if you were, say, to take a team of equivalent talent to Trier, how would you defend Dirk Passavan? Because I was, I like broke my own brain trying to think about this outside of like have way more talent than them, which is what like Landil have to rely on. Oh no, Landell also massively rely on scheme, but all the scheme is get the ball out of his hands. Like, I think, I don't know, I make the distinction in my own head every so often. Sometimes when you're doubling someone, it's to make it impossible for them to actually do something with the ball in their hands. But most of the time, it's for them to be like, ah, someone else is open. It's the right thing to do to move the ball over there. So it's like the way I would describe, that's just the way I kind of conceptualize this stuff in my head, kind of it's like just jump the life out of him wherever you can they will set picks and like you can just figure out the rest of it behind that like the guy who comes up with a picker just blitz the life out of him and yeah whatever's behind can you can just figure it out between three or four people like you know what i mean you can you just can i don't know if you get to the point where they're scoring to the point that the rest of the guys on that team have 20 from like 10, 12 foot shots. Like any yeah. shot that isn't Dirk Passwan or a layup for someone else is okay for you. Yeah. It's kind of, and that's not, yeah, that's not saying anything about anyone else. That's saying something about the fact that he's unbelievable and had 49 points this week. <laughs> Play the odds, man. Yeah. My, my, um, my favorite possession of this entire game was off like a half court-ish steal uh, that I think maybe Dayon Green got, but the first two guys down, it was like so early in the possession that not all of Cologne's guys were down the floor yet, so they had already a big like back in defense. Corey Rossi 
got like kind of towards the wing, but got picked up on a high line, so didn't get a good screen set. And Patterson just came down two on three and just like from maybe 20 feet behind a screen was just like, hey, I'll shoot this. This is as good as it's going to get. And he made it. It's like, oh my God. There's like, a thing of like, there's probably a risk reward thing for him where he's like, the closer I get, the more likely that there will be like higher density sort of yeah. like traffic in there. Like, so there's a thing of like, he must every so often see an early one and just be like, I, I don't have someone on my full plate right now. While I have a lower percentage, it, there's a less, like, like the percentage of it going in goes down, but the percentage of him being able to put it up is at 100. So he's like, yeah, why not? <laughs> like, Good enough for me. <laughs> that's how the scales tip in his head. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, does he speak? I, I don't know him at all. Um, does anyone know if he speaks English to the level that we could invite him on the podcast so we could ask him questions about how he sees the game? I'm sure he could do. Uh, well, he's always got a lot of American and like English-speaking players into Trier, hasn't he? I've spoken to him very briefly on Facebook Messenger once. That's my entire extent of my interaction with him. All right. If anyone happens to know, that'd be cool because um, that'd be a good one. I don't know if it's something you'd be interested in anyway, but we need that information before we even ask. All right. Is that everything for this game? Uh, Cologne side very quickly. They were missing Asel Shabo. Not sure where he was, but they, yeah, weird one for Cologne. Uh, Kea Keita only playing seven minutes, who you would think is their second best player in this situation. They mm-hmm. kind of went for size, relying on Balut Kodal and Thomas Raya, but those guys didn't get a whole lot of position. And at that point, you're asking those guys to win a shootout with Dirk Passavan and. When Passavan gets 49 and Corey Rossi, who's consistently their second best player, puts 17 on you, you're going to struggle unless you're Thuringen <laughs> and you can just get inside and finish off repeatedly. Yeah, you just get 100 anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, someone gets 94. Don't worry, we get 114. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, which... <laughs> which doesn't lead us on to our next game because that's not where we're going. Another one in between. Plot twist. Several, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So the next game we have is without stats, but ING Skywheelers uh, 48, uh, Rhino for Rhinos 73. Yeah. Um, yeah. This one seems to be a theme for, I think, the Skywheelers game. So I think they had this last week as well. Uh, if it's not them, forgive me. Uh, uh, Rhine River Rhinos. I've just got their like their team website, like player point totals. Heist even had twenty seven. Um, yeah. Moji Kamali had seventeen. Aaron Young thirteen. Jim with six. Chase Wolf and Louis Hardwan with four. Chris Huber with two. Like, yeah, that that's yeah, enough. That's that's balance, man. That's much better scoring spread than they've had up until recently. Um, yeah, obviously they're not at full strength still, but I think Skywheelers are pretty, if this is their squad for the whole season, Skywheelers are pretty undermanned. Um, I would have expected Reese Barden to take care of a game like this. And yeah, job done. I think Skywheelers just don't have, they've got some bigs who can finish. They just don't have enough shot creation from the perimeter outside of Nico Drymuller. And no, it's tough when you're against a team full of mobile guys. Yeah, cool. Yeah, not a massive amount to say about this one. Um, no step coverage. 
What, sorry? But no stats, no coverage. Yeah, using that to like withhold our coverage. Other than getting <laughs> dying for it that much that like we're not turning a tap off for something that people care about. Like, but yeah. All right. Uh, next game. Uh Landil 66, Hanover United 58. Man, this was a this was a weird one. <laughs> this was a weird one. The the headline on this one, outside of the win, is that at one point in mid first quarter it was 15-1 to Hanover. Yes, that was 15-1. Uh 19-3 was obviously like that's 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 fine. Like they're but they're imagine being Landil and being like, this is fine. Don't worry. <laughs> We're yeah. okay. It was it was an interesting one because we don't the only time you ever get to see Landil play from behind in any significant fashion is against like in Germany, maybe against Thuringen and in Europe against like the top one or two Spanish teams. And in that case, there's obviously not necessarily a particularly high expectation they'll pull it back. Like they're more than capable of doing so, but it's also not guaranteed against a team with that standard. So yeah, it was actually quite we get to see them toggle lineups a lot typically when they're ahead comfortably, but it was quite interesting to see them toggle their lineups with the pressure on them a little bit. And the one that pulled it back for them was their three big with Gaz, um, Matthias Gutner, Rio, and then Simon Brown and Katharina Weiss, which it's not really their style. They have never really shown a massive inclination to go big, you know, size first and everything else afterwards, but it worked for them against Hanover, who are predominantly mids and you know, the size they do have. Mariska's just coming back after sitting out the second half of last season. Tom McHugh is a huge guy. He's massive. He's really good. I really like watching him this game. He's that was really a lot good. of fun. He's really good and he's massive, but you're also asking him to defend like two world-class perimeter high pointers and, you know, Matthias Gutner, who is deadly efficient and also probably just as big as Tom McHugh is. So. Yeah. And it's not like it's not like you can sit him in the charge circle because those two bigs are coming in. Like you've got one who loves sitting around the elbow behind behind a screen and someone who might want to get inside at the same time. And you're kind of you're a little thin on people that can stop their second big at any given point. But yeah, no, that was the thing that I was gonna say that you brought up as well. It was cool to see them use their versatility when they actually needed to rather than just the last two weeks where I've come on and been like, did you know they could play this? Like <laughs> in a game that was already kind of over. But do here's my question. Did you think when Hanover got out to the great start, um was like was there anything that you thought Landell were actually doing sort of to to like anything they were doing wrong or was a lot of it just like meh good luck that will go in um, at some point. I think it's, it's a mixture of those two things. I think they did get good shots early doors, but I think because because they started right with Gaz and Gutner as their bigs combo, mm-hmm. uh, Ga- Gaz took a couple of wing shots, Gutner got a couple of mismatches, and then Rio came in for Gaz in fairly short order. Uh, I think they saw Hanover as a bunch of mids and were relatively happy with the mismatches. Um, which are all like makeable shots for their bigs they do have, but it was very obvious in those first six or seven minutes before they got rolling, they got 
like no free throws and no offensive rebounds in the time that Hanover were, you know, pushing ahead. So while they were good shots, you're not giving yourself a huge amount of margin for error if you're happy just shooting those and not taking a whole lot of anything else. And really what turned the game for them was kind of third quarter and onwards. Gunther was just like, right, I'm going inside. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they were doing anything wrong, but I think... They, they were also just like four from 17 in the first quarter or something. Like, And no yeah, matter but... matter the quality of shot you're taking, if you're Landil, you're probably expecting to be a little higher than that. But Yeah, I think that's fair. But I, I still think the point stands that if you're shooting badly... Any coach will tell you if you're shooting badly, get some easy looks or get yourself to the free throw line. And they didn't really do either of those to remedy their early shooting. But yeah, 100%. No, I agree. Um, I wasn't disagreeing with you. Sorry. I just was doing that thing where I was like thinking of my own, like formulating my no, no. own thought in advance when you were, when you were talking <laughs> because I was like, I can't wait yeah, till you finish and go, um, but yeah, no, going to the game eventually. Sean Norris yeah. farling out with a couple of minutes to go is obviously not great in a eight point game, but I don't, I don't think and, um, like they were Jan's, doing it anyway. No, Jan Sadler had a tough shooting game as well, where he was two from twelve. He ended up having to take some shot, some shots up against the shot clock. Um, my takeaway from Hanover is this game, notwithstanding. I think with Mariska back, they found their lineup of Sean, Jan Haller, Jan Zadler, Alex Buda, and Mariska, which is a very like even spread of size. They have to take their one true big guy out to make it work. But I think that's potentially a weapon for them against all but the biggest teams. Yeah. Uh, again, they going down against a team that kind of discovered its three big unit in this game so maybe it doesn't work against stuff like that but I think that's a lineup to watch for going forward yeah the FIBA live stats don't have the lineup specific plus minus stuff but Alexander Buda and Mariska Bayer were minus 16 and minus 15 in this game but maybe they're like their lineup coinciding with Landil's run is probably maybe a bit of that and maybe Landil figuring it out at the same time. You know what I mean? It's probably maybe not just to do with them, yeah. but the fact that they can go yeah, a little bit of size, but not really give up anything else, I think will be useful for them against the sort of middle of the pack teams. But yeah, I also thought Oliver Jans played yeah. pretty well, especially in their first run. He was finishing off, making some shots, yeah, which I thought was helpful. But Definitely. Yeah. That's the, the one small guy they play in their regular rotation really he kind of got a couple of dump downs and finished off and I, I think Landil were doing the thing you talked about in the Malaga game where they're like yeah we'll jump this because we're not overly concerned about the roll to the basket but you know he made him pay so shout out to him yes all right last game let's do it all right so on the Turingen playing lower down in the league teams bingo who had 114 points. Um Turingen 114, uh hot rolling bears, greatest name of all time, 31. Uh yeah, this was this was tough. I watched a little bit of this, didn't know the score, scrolled on a little bit, like halfway through the game. Oh, random sport sport Deutschland uh TV. Tip, I watched games on my iPad today and you can skip backwards and forwards 15 seconds, which is exciting. 
Because you can't do that anywhere else because it's a terrible, terrible website. But yeah, no, this was <laughs> an uneventful game. Um, we're, we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on this, but I'm going to hit you with some quick ones here. Had you ever, prior to this, seen a team put up 40 in a quarter of a wheelchair basketball game? I don't. I honestly don't think so. Um, I don't. It was 40 to 6 to open this game. Um, next one. Is this the widest margin of victory we see at any point in the season? This is 83 points of difference. Yeah, of the two leagues that we cover consistently, yeah, I would say so. 100%. Um, Landil might do the same thing to this team or similar. Uh, I don't see it in Spain for some reason. I don't know no, if it's... I, 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 I also think like the top Spanish teams are way more inclined to get a little bit complacent against bad teams, like which is credit to Thuringen as much as it is criticism to anyone else. Okay, yeah, last yeah, quick yeah Thuringen just have that like... I don't know, and I, we've spoken about it 50 times. It's partly mentality, partly they don't have like their 12th player isn't bad enough that they look bad when they rotate. Like, yeah. Okay. Final quick hit on this. Without looking, what was the highest plus minus in this game, and possibly the highest plus minus I have ever seen in my life? Um, I'm gonna go for considering everyone rotated enough. I'm gonna go for forty-eight. <laughs> you were three quarters of the way there. Oh my Yo- god! Really. <laughs> Yoko London was six, plus 64 in 24 minutes. Um, by contrast, Abraham Mamo of Hot Rolling Bears was minus 70 in 34 minutes. And I assure you, I've never seen minus 70 anywhere. <laughs> it's probably just well, because no one's well, ever watched the stats for a game like this. But man, this was, a, this was a beat down. But yeah, Turgan just... And their style of play as well, like they play hard and quick most of the time. So it's like you're getting lots of possessions of very, very high quality shots, which is like what helps them in actual big games against good teams as well. But certainly helps you score 114 against the lower down teams. For 48 from 67 shooting for the game for throwing and 14 from 53 for hot rolling bears. Oof. There's just there is no this is like the the this game is like the um what do you call it the preempt to a movie you know how they make the sports movie every couple of years about how like coach comes into a scrappy team that's been beaten down and like hatches the formula to make them world class and the this formula isn't anything is like, technical or tactical it's always a cultural yeah. shift yeah <laughs> this. This stat sheet is like that. Hot rolling bears are like the stars of the next movie of that ilk. Oh, but, this just made me think of like doing a podcast where we just dissect the polit the sociopolitics of like Coach Carter <laughs> or something. I'm not I'm not placed to do that. I'm not qualified or sort of I don't know. That's that's not mine. That's not my place, but that'll be hilarious for me enough. only. I think all the time of things that I'm like, this would be a fun podcast for me to do and no one to listen to <laughs> well, that's what that's why we're here with this one right 
Yes. Oh my God. I was looking through my phone the other day and I a screenshot of a message that I sent to you or you sent to me a while ago. And it just said, well, thank God we didn't, um, thank God we've never, um, compromised on our ideals for the sake of people enjoying our podcast but this was like three years ago <laughs> when we didn't take it seriously but it's pretty similar now that's but so yeah. funny god knows last order of business before we get out of here who because we're gonna remember this time because we know what we're doing who is getting the belt uh lee manning i think uh i think phil was right um I don't know. If I you... think right. Although I'm starting to begrudge the fact that the belt thing is entirely just mates and teammates bigging each other up. It's like, hey, uh, we we get it, all right? You want your mates to do well. Let's I, actually put some thought. I just laugh at the fact. I'm just laughing at the fact that like it's like it's a thing that someone wants someone to have at this point. Like I assume everyone's yeah. joking and making fun of us, but like. It's just funny that it's. I'm just glad it's actually turning into a bit of a thing for like seven people in the yeah. world. But yeah, we yeah. enjoy it and yeah. we like giving it out for mad numbers. So Lee with 20 something and 20 something rebounds. Lee, although honorable mentions, Dirk Passavan, who probably would have won it in a, any other week. But I think he just took it out against a weak, a weaker team. Whereas I think Lee built it. Lee had that game against a team that we were pretty optimistic is not to be messed with, and I still think yeah. that's true. But yeah, I do love that when you have like a when you have a team, you're like, oh, these guys could really be something. What do you think? And then they play someone who's like, no, 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 stop it. <laughs> but yeah, all right, cool. I think that's us, right? Let's get out of here. Um, if people are listening to this the day it comes out, which is Monday. Uh, we are going to be recording again this evening at 5 p.m. with a guest. James, would you like to tell everyone who our guest is? Because it's someone we've been trying to nail down for a long time. No, go on our Instagram and you can find out <laughs> and you can ask him questions. <laughs> awesome. Right, give we'll give us some that. traffic on the Instagram, please. All right. right. Thank you very much for listening. Um Go back and listen to the Joey Johnson episode, please, because it was great and we loved it. And yeah, talk to you soon. Peace out.